Welcome to the Configure It Done podcast. The Configure It Done podcast is a place where successful thought leaders in the SAP space come to share their leadership styles, their tips, and their unique stories on how to run successful large-scale SAP programs. Listen to the podcast to learn from their successes, their failures, their career stories, and their inspirations. This podcast is in partnership with the Black Dog Institute, who aim to create a mentally healthier world for everyone. If you wish to support the cause, please donate via the link below. Yeah, welcome. This is season three um, of the Configure It Done um, podcast, um, episode um, four now, I believe. Yeah, episode four. And um, I've got my colleague Richard Shaw. And Richard, you've uh, invited a fantastic guest today. Thank you for that. Did you want to quickly introduce um, the guest today? Yeah, so Carrie Farmer, uh, extremely senior leader within the Australian market. Um, it's had a number of ECC and S4 implementations across the globe. So I guess, Carrie, I'll let you do a little a short introduction of yourself. Yeah, thanks. Um, I, I used to say I can't stay married, but I can run projects. Yeah, it's probably about <laughs> all I could do. <laughs> but that actually isn't fair, my wife. <laughs> I did get divorced, but I'm very happily married now. So I've got to stop using that line. Um, yeah, I, I just love projects. I think I love people and uh, tend to, you know, between that combination um, and only sticking to project management, never moving into a line management function, just staying on projects has been always a joy for me. So, uh, yeah, I've had a really good track record. So, yeah, it kind of makes you want to keep doing it. And um, slowly but surely you, you build up these great friends and yeah you see them again and again and again and you know it's pretty cool i i do i do enjoy it the success of them makes it uh, worthwhile as well because some of them are really tough and some of them are really easy so uh, yeah it's pretty yeah. good more tough than easy i can imagine yeah some cases <laughs> Excellent. Well, um, listen, we're going to tap into those insights and, and some of those war stories and projects um, later on, but we want to introduce you to the audience and, and something that we do on every single podcast is a, a short quick fire question round um, just to get to know a bit about you as a person, um, Carrie. So I'm going to set the timer for, for three minutes, answer the questions as quickly as you can. I'm going to hand you over to Rich and he's going to do the quick fire question. Round. Okay. Perfect. So Carrie, what's your full name? Kerry Kenneth Farmer. And what's your nickname if you have one? No, I don't have one, but Kerry was uh, funny enough. You can imagine how much um, I've had and, and then have a surname like Farmer. <laughs> you know, I've, I've been pulled on every 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 minute. <laughs> yeah, no, I can imagine. And whereabouts are you from? I'm originally from South Africa. I moved to um, Australia in 2007. Mm-hmm. Uh, before that, I'd moved, I'd worked in many countries, so I kind of really travelled a lot. Uh, in Australia, it was meant to just be a quick um, Auss- Aussie post project in 2007, and we just stayed. Um, but we did do four and a half years overseas on a major airline in uh, Hong Kong and a major airline in mm-hmm. in Dubai. So, uh, but back in back in Sunshine Coast now. Yeah, you were answer that you actually answered my next question which was how long have you been in australia so i'll move on to the next but um where are you um are you currently working at the moment um yes i uh, just wrapped up at the department of defense um i'm busy working on a bid with capgemini 
um, uh, for a Singapore Air uh, piece of work. So interesting how the airlines keep tapping yeah. on that offer. Perfect. And um, what's the best job you'd say you ever had? Uh, I probably would say office works have been really fantastic. You know, I run, ran a few there. I think that was project of the year. But just the way office works operates, fantastic. And then Cathay was a really, really great one because um, Cathay uh, really needed fixing and they listened. And that's yeah. the thing I love about fixits. They got to listen. Yeah, and yeah, it, was sure, a great, sure. it was a great, it was a great outcome. Perfect. And your worst job? Oh, there's a steel company in South Africa. I won't mention the name. Um, they were known for screwing the suppliers. It was just terrible. Um, but I, I turned that, I was the third attempt, turned that one around. That was my, I think my claim to initial fame. Um, and that put me, you know, set me a little bit apart because to get that in was quite special. So that was the tough one though. <laughs> What's your favorite sport? Oh, I love motor racing, but especially motocross. Mm-hmm. Perfect. And your favorite beer? <laughs> I'd say any pale ale. Yeah, I like pale ale. Yeah. Not a fan of spirits or wine? No, a red wine. Yeah, red wine. Yeah. Perfect. And food? What's your um, favorite a, meal? A good rare fillet. Fillet. Yeah. <laughs> Beautiful. <laughs> Steak man. <laughs> yes, definitely. <laughs> Perfect. And, um, if you were to describe your management style in one word, what would it be? Oh, that's a very good question. Um, I think proactive. Mm-hmm. Being on projects, being on projects, thinking about everything in sequence, making sure that it runs mm-hmm. and people run properly. Yeah, yep. perfect. And favorite film or music? Uh, most sci-fi. Most sci-fi movies, but probably The Matrix. It just shook me. Yeah. Like Excited for the new one? No, I'm waiting for that. I'll, I'll yeah, go. yeah. I don't think it's going to be very good. <laughs> um, what about holidays? Obviously, you live in Sunshine Coast now, but where'd you like oh, to go on holiday? Funny enough, Canada is one of my favorite places because of the the diversity. You know, having been there in winter and in summer. Yeah. Uh, I'm talking about you know Upper uh, Quebec and. Um, and um, upper, you know, sort of northern areas. Oh, beautiful, especially in winter. I love the snow. So, yeah, um, yeah just one of my favorite places. Yeah. And my family are there as well. So, okay. Makes, makes Amazing. Um, if you have, a, do you have a bucket list? Um, yeah, I sort of do. I've, I'm kind of doing quite well on it. I must be honest yeah. with all the traveling. Uh, Alaska is probably, I'd say, my next destination and yeah. then i'd say south america but alaska has uh, got an appeal for me especially in the really you know the real cold time spell yeah, so, yeah. seems you like your snow yeah but i convinced my wife she doesn't yeah <laughs> it's i find it fun for the first couple of days and then it just gets colder and colder and wetter and wetter that's what <laughs> i used to be like back in wales yeah. um and just to finish off a fun fact about yourself uh, I um, I love motorcycles. I've probably raced, well, I did not probably, I raced motocross for many years and then moved over into uh, enduros and competed in, you know, seriously, you know, uh, major events. So really big motor motorsport dude. Yeah. Amazing. Excellent. All right. Well, thank you for that, um, Carrie. Now, jumping into the, the crux of it, I'll, 
I recall you saying earlier you've worked in um, different countries, obviously Australia, um, Dubai. I think you mentioned Hong Kong with um, with Cafe as well. I'm really I'm really intrigued with um, leaders that have worked in different cultures. Um, how would you describe how your culture or how your management style has to adapt when working in all those different countries? Um, yeah, I think that's a that's a really good question. I, one of the things that I was particularly happy about when in my later years now is my 10 and 12 year old taking them to with us to every country because they were learning a lot about those cultures and their open mindedness now is just fantastic. But the one thing I find beautiful about different countries is their different strengths. You know, I'd be in one area and my humor wouldn't work. I always like to crack jokes and I find <laughs> that really frustrating because if you're not moving the crowd with the odd chuckle, uh, it was very hard to read. So I had to ad adapt that. That was a negative. But the positives were the th ways of thinking. So the way the Chinese think is just beautifully different. The way the Indians think is there's just little nuances that I love and the combination of that those global projects, they've been just tremendous because mm. you pick those strengths of those individuals and and you kind of glue it all together. And sometimes something's not obvious and sometimes it is so obvious to them and they just connect. So I think learning them, learning the way they think um, and then adjusting and adapting and blending is a beautiful art form. On the Emirates project, it was beautiful. We literally had from South Americans to, you know, literally a I've never seen such a beautiful spread of, of people, 350. And I think there were probably 70 or 80 countries represented, which is, it was just fantastic. And this, the different nuances, you know, the, the African will be humble and he'll, he'll, he'll step back. The Indian will be subservient and he'll hold back. But, but you know, and, and those beautiful little, no, hold on, that, let's hear what he's got to say, because he's kind of doing that as a natural trend. Let's let him, let, let's let him speak. Let's let him have his say. And then you get a, a, a nugget, you know. So kind of interesting, you're going to learn how people behave. And, and some people just don't like to speak, of course. Sure, sure. Now, how do, you, how do you adapt your leadership style to those different different people? Uh, I think my leadership style is listening to people and grabbing people and making sure that I get the best out of them. So I think um, having the ability to pick a star and then back it is probably a bit of an art form. And then I think just supporting them. So methods the same, you know, customer empowerment, driving, getting the thing done and then making sure that that job is being done correctly. Sure. sure. OK, well, Carrie, that's a great insight. I'd love to, I guess, rewind, um, rewind time and understand how you got into um, SAP and, and what the story was. Yeah, it's quite funny. Uh, it was 1993. Um, it was an integration scenario where they had R2 and this R3 thing was going to be the integration piece to a massive point of sale project. And I started on the point of sale component. It was a bespoke developed thing for South African Post. And um, yeah, before you knew it, you know, you had SAP on your CV and 
And then I was sold on the by the next consulting group as the SAP expert. And I was like, well, hold on. And <laughs> and yes, of course, you got into SAP really quickly after that. And um, I, the thing that I love about SAP, though, is it's it's just a great product. Uh, it's integrated, you know, the fact that you can configure it and develop it without breaking it. I just love the way it works. I've, I've done a few uh, non-SAP programs in between, but you just miss the SAP ones, you know, when that comes, because the, the whole basis module, the way the thing is, you know, structured is just, it just, it's kind of flawless. Um, mm -hmm. You know, when they buy new products, they, they have to be SAP-ified. They mm -hmm. call that quality missing quite often, and, they, and then they bolt it on, and, and then eventually they get it really, you know, well, well plugged in. So besides that, I, I think SAP, and they, look how much money they spend on research and development. It's, it's really the reason. I predicted the end of SAP in 2002, because I went, no, this, this is not going anywhere. I can't. And <laughs> I was, I'm gratefully wrong. So that was funny. And, and I think because I thought they were riding the 2000 bubble, and I, I'd seen so many products come to end of life but SAP mm. hasn't. Um, so my just my experience said, oh, it's probably going to come to end of life roundabout now. So, and it yeah. has. Yeah. It is unbelievable how they transform themselves, really. If you think where they were back then in, in 2002 compared to now, mm. um, it is still the same beast, but it's completely different. Yeah, it is. It's quite something, actually. Yeah. You actually touched upon it a little bit then in terms of what's keeping you in SAP. Obviously, it's been many years since 1993, but what are the three main reasons that you stay in, in SAP? I think SAP keeps calling me. Um, um, you, on the airlines, as, as a silly example, you once you've done two, you know, a couple of airlines, you then sort of get linked to yes. an airline. I think it is linked. It's based on my experience. So the world actually says, hey, I like SAP projects because they generally end-to-end -end business transformation or or end-to-end -end. and i like i like those so i look for them first i don't look generally for others i'm not anti other products i'm certainly yeah. in fact i'm not really sap biased per se but um yeah i think it's just probably the combination of the pool and the me looking for and yeah. normally it's you know with all that methodology background experience it makes sense, right? So, would you would you go into Oracle or Dynamics? Would you try anything new? Or? I did one Dynamics project. Um, that was one of those that I'd done. Um, yeah, I'd actually treated it as though it was an essay. I used in those days was the ASAP method, and I yeah. just gone and I said, no, I want a blueprint. What's a blueprint? And you know, so I got everyone going, and and we literally uh, there were two in a row. Funny enough, um, yeah. they were successful. Um, but they were treated as though they were just little silly IT implementations, and, and that particularly bothered me. And those days, not to break dynamics, but um, the performance of the system had memory leaks, and that's where you appreciate the SAP product that it just runs. You know, you don't. When you did a stress test in SAP, it just worked. You know, it's yeah. like not like a problem. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, makes sense. And if you was to define what a successful SAP program is for you um, and how that's changed over time on your view on this. 
Success is delivering what the customer wants within budget. That's success. However, there's a couple of problems with that statement. Sometimes the customer doesn't know what they want. They actually have an expectation that may not be realistic sometimes. And you've got to, and, and also they believe that it just delivers itself. You know, now yeah. I think my job is being, no, no, hold on. You getting you involved, getting you to own this. It's an end-to-end -end product. You, if you treat it as an IT solution, it's not going to work. So my job is generally to keep them involved, steer them, guide them, and then of course keep everyone honest in terms of drive and tracking. So, uh, mm -hmm. including vendors. So, yeah. Okay, good stuff. Um, I have a question about obviously your, your teams. You mentioned earlier um, you've had very diverse teams. Um, global teams of like 70 countries um, and led obviously huge programs. Are there any kind of, or, or what's your top three imperatives that you do look for, um, you know, within teams? I think that's the question actually. <laughs> um, attitude. Attitude is everything. If, um, if they have the right attitude, if they want it, they will get it right. If somebody has a bad attitude and doesn't care, that's a that's the worst kind. So attitude is everything for me. I can live with mistakes. People are generally not destructive. Um, and but if they want to try and figure it out, they will. Um, so that's a big one. Customer orientated. If they're thinking about the customer, if they're driving the customer, and they internally are a customer to everyone. So it does apply to everyone, customer in, uh, people included. It helps because they're giving the time of day to listen. They're giving um, their best. They are about product, uh, you know, throughput and production. And and I think they all link my three uh, and hungry. They've got to be hungry, hungry to please, hungry to deliver, hungry to work. Um, I, I think those are, you know, my those are my three. If if those are even three, but I I particularly like attitude. Sure, sure, okay, and then. Coming back to your, your project management um, philosophy, how would you define that, Gary? Oh. <laughs> the, method, the method is everything. Um, I've been doing it for long enough to know and get a good feel for what re what's really important and what's key to success. So you can see noise and sometimes somebody say, but you haven't read your mails for the whole day. I said, that's noise right now. I need to focus on the, on these top three things until I've delivered them. No, I won't read a mail. You know, so I will. By the way, it'll probably be two in the morning. But um, it's just that sort of thinking of let's get on with the key, with the key, uh, you know, factors. I think the right focusing on the customer, focusing on them on the get go, getting them to own the problem, the solution and be a part of the solution is a critical method that I have and drive. If I get that right and I get the correct leadership involvement, they they are a lot easier. They're never easy, but they are a lot easier. Mm -hmm. And I love to get the top guy involved because they're spending so much money. And if they don't get the right person connected and owning this solution or the problem with us, um, it's bad. It, sometimes I've seen a individual try and own the steering committee and not have any of his senior peers around. 
And that's also dangerous because what happens is now he's taken the whole onus on himself. Well, that's fine if, you know, it can work, but it generally it's, it's, a, it's too big a risk. It's not yours normally. It's normally an enterprise problem. And let's have a couple of directors in that and they can co-own the problem or at least be aware of the journey that, you know, the project has possibly taken. So mm-hmm. um, I think getting the right amount of leadership is right. Sometimes we have to supplement those projects. Sometimes yeah. I have to get some consultants in to assist, you know, but it's it's a it's second prize because if I can get the customer, the right level of customer uh, in the solution, the better. It's interesting, quite often on some of the fixits I've run, they've given the poor project to a guy who's never run programs before. Mm-hmm. And they've said, run this. And quite often they get fired. I've seen in my history two or three people prior to me arriving getting fired for not delivering a major program on time. But how the hell were they ever going to do that when I've been doing this my entire life and mm-hmm. I'm getting it, I'm just getting it right, you know? So what that, how do you, you know, so I think people need to understand that you do need to bring in experts. You do need to bring in people that you can trust and that can drive a program successfully, uh, have the ability to listen and, 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 and sort of set that. Quite often they don't listen, of course. Customers need to listen too. So it's an art form. Um, I'm, give, I'm kind of giving you a few <laughs> elements to my method, but customer involvement, getting them from the get-go and driving it with that is, yeah. is the way to go. That's yeah. amazing. Amazing to hear. So I, I wanted to ask, if you, if there was a, like a, a CIO or CEO out there thinking about um, implementing SAP, what's Ooh. your one message to uh, to them. Okay, so first of all, especially if the CIO is the sponsor, be careful that you don't make this a technology stint because they, they aren't. Um, get the right senior involvement in at the steering committee um, and make sure you apportion all the streams that you're delivering to uh, the heads of that in each one of the steering committees and then Invest, invest in a senior leader that's going to make all your future, this is your future you're playing with, all your future design decisions, invest that person full time into the gig. I always say, give me the people you can't afford to give me. So invest those people, uh, put them into the project and um, uh, and then we'll, we'll be successful because the minute you don't, um, you get a, an inferior solution. Um, I've, I've, I've often seen where programs are also filled with refugees. Oh, people, they didn't know what to do it. They just pushed them onto the program. So that that's also a negative, you know. So it must be the people that are going to shape the future of your solution. But we can't afford to give you the time, Carrie. We, uh, we've got a business to run. Well, this is going to shape your business. So you've got an opportunity to invest and shape the future. So... Give me who you can't afford to give me. And sometimes you have to work out compromise models. I'd rather backfill those. Some SCIOs, some executives go and hire consultants as to run the program. Well, yes, isn't that the SI's job? Don't mind two or three solution architects guiding the customer, giving, keeping the vendor honest. I do that myself. Um, but uh, don't go and hire war, uh, you know, uh, a war room of... Uh, 
SAP consultants. That's not what you're looking for. You're relying on the SI for that. So yeah. when you say um, give me the people you can't afford to give me, are you talking about you know not just giving it to um, the person in the business that hasn't run a project before? Give it to you know someone that's done this all their life, kind of thing. Is it is that what you is that what you mean? Yeah, there's two. Sorry, there's two stories. The people you can't afford to give me is more aimed at business representation. So um, the subject matter expert that owns the procurement process, okay. give me that guy. He's going to shape the future. The other conversation was around, but be careful who you get to run the program. So yeah. I'm running the program. I, I'll, I'll think of one example. I won't mention the name. I came in, the poor general manager was about to get fired. He'd just been given his sort of warning. Um, and I looked at him and went, but have you run these before? He said, no. And I said, well, okay, I'm, don't worry. We'll figure this out. And, you know, basically we saved his job. But it's silly to think that somebody who's a general manager of a business is going to be a program director running SAP projects successfully suddenly. And yeah. that's where I, I was saying the project management example is be careful who you go and hire. Um, and of course, everyone calls themselves project managers. So check them out. OK, but <laughs> I find that quite remarkable how many project managers are out there and why are these projects still failing. They're not that hard. There are 10 basic things to do, and they're not that hard. You know, mm -hmm. keep controlling scope, driving to milestones, planning ahead, being proactive. You know, there's a couple of basics that one has to do um, that, aren't that are not that hard. And then, obviously, when you know the method, you don't have to think about that stuff. So you can just keep the, the system on track. But, uh, you know, balancing that user input mix, etc. I find him invaluable. Yeah, invaluable. Mm -hmm. Perfect. And um, just yeah, if you can give me an idea of what your biggest failure was and um, what you learned from it throughout your career. Oh, that I'd say um, I can't say there's one particular thing um, that is a failure. Mm -hmm. um, I think the fact that we've got to probably learn to listen first, as consultants especially, digest, think about what they've said and then provide direction because quite often a consultant going oh well let me explain it now hold on you haven't heard the problem yet so yeah. we should be aware that every customer is different the customer thinks they always have a particular special problem but we've pro pro probably by now seen it all you know I've, yeah. i think of procurement in general i think we have a way of explaining that procurement can work differently by now and we've really got years and years and years of best practice under our belts best practice means we've seen firsthand how that thing should work and now listen so i'd say a failure is just be careful to to listen mm -hmm. so excellent okay now um carrie obviously you've worked in sap since 93 and um worked with a lot of different um, people through that time um, who would you say has been the biggest influence on your career? And second, secondly, what did they teach you? Yeah, that's a very good, very good question. Uh, they didn't teach me at SAP. My mentors are were fantastic. I'm, I've got to mention a few because I just think <laughs> they, they are they were really up there. Gary Chapman, my last boss at Emirates, he was the you know the president of the of of Donata and uh, uh, basically co-runner of uh, of the airline, Emirates Airline. He was just superb. You know, his work ethic was just 
to die for. He was so involved in my program, so much a, a supporter, knew the detail, got into the detail. Just these people are superb. They're, they're, they're worth it, ethics are phenomenal. My initial uh, mentor was a guy called Billy Hayfley. Um, he was the CEO of Hallmark Cards. And I, he taught me about work, work as well, but it was ridiculous. He's, he, we used to work through the night once a week, and I thought that was normal without mm-hmm. sleep. We'd work Saturdays and Sundays. I think it was 13 years before I took my first vacation because <laughs> I'd been mentored by a guy like that. So possibly not a good mentor, but the work ethics I got from him there was a, a particularly good um, guy in South Africa, a Jewish, Israeli guy, fantastic, Amos Seller. He was just superb, smart, switched on. I remember him saying, right, we're contracting you. How are we going to do this? And he hauled out a piece of paper and he started writing. I said, what are you doing? I'm writing up your contract. I went, oh, okay. And I was so impressed that the guy, guy just did it there and then uh-huh. he put it on paper. He said, sign, are you okay with this? I said, yep, sign. So don't worry, I'll put it in, you know, something later on. I don't think I ever got a four, <laughs> but it was beautiful because yeah. let's just do this. Let's just do this. So really good. And, and, uh, and of course, one of my favorites is Chris Bennett. Um, I love him. I just love the way he does. He's done a few QAs of my programs. I'd hate to be on the wrong side of Chris, but um, I just love his style. He's so direct. He's so clear. He's so crisp. You know, these are really, uh, you know, wonderful mentors. So I've been very lucky. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Perfect. And obviously, you've had a very successful career. If you were to go back and do anything different, what would you tell your, let's say, your 21 year old self? I, I'd say, what have what I learned in essence? And I'd say, mm-hmm. hey, listen, dude, just remember to plan, keep the honesty and the transparency going. Um, people are everything. Make sure you look after people. Make sure you read and listen because some stakeholders will do weird things to you. Um, I'd say just just those things, yeah. Thanks, sir. And it's been an absolute pleasure having you on the uh, podcast, um, Karen. We always ask at the end of the podcast if there's anyone specifically that you would like us to invite and anyone specifically you, you would want to hear on the podcast. I am. Um, I- I'd love to hear Chris Bennett. Uh, Chris <laughs> would be a good one. So let's get him on if you can. <laughs> so that'll be good from my perspective. Yeah. Excellent. All right. Well, brilliant. Thank you very much, Carrie. I hope you enjoyed uh, today. Um, really appreciate you coming on and giving us some really, really good insights there. And um, yeah, hopefully we'll speak soon. Thanks very much. Thanks, Karen. It was a pleasure. Thanks.